Hello and welcome to the Pit Straight Podcast with me, Alex, Jack, Chester and Lewis. For our first episode, we're going to be reviewing the Silverstone Grand Prix weekend and discussing our experience when we were there. So let's get straight into it. And first up, we're going to be talking about McLaren. We're going to talk about Lando Norris, Oscar Piastri, and have the upgrades worked, which is an obvious answer, and where it's going right and what the limit for McLaren is. So I'll go straight to Chester on that one. What did you make of McLaren's upgrades? Well, I I couldn't believe it. I've got to be honest. I think it's madness. Like, they've gone from being potentially one of the slowest cars on the grid to, after 10 races, somehow really, really challenging Red Bull. And I can't remember who it was that said it a couple of races ago. Was it Mika Hakkinen who said that their pace will be will be up there with Red Bull. And I've got to be honest, I thought he was crazy when he said that because the car was so slow. The best thing about it was that it had a Merck engine and the Merck engine this year isn't even probably the best engine on the grid. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, it's it's fantastic. And as a big Lando fan and a McLaren fan in general, it was great to see and it was great to watch at the weekend. Even if it did only last in the lead for about three laps, he still led a Silverstone British Grand Prix. And I think it's really good for them for the rest of the season. I think yeah. it could it could mean a lot. It could mean a lot for the constructors because looking at it, if they carry on with that pace and Alpine don't catch up quick, then they've easily got Alpine in the constructors. And then it's where they go from there because Merck and Ferrari aren't looking particularly quick. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I completely agree with you there. And Jack, as a big Oscar Piastri fan, you've been talking about him for years, how close and how annoying was it for him to be P4 that close to a podium, which I think we can all agree deserved a P3 there with how well he raced. And what do you make of that? And how do you think that's going to benefit him for the future? Uh, it was uh, frustrating because obviously he only finished nine tenths off Lewis at the uh, end of the race. And, you know, that safety car doesn't come out or it comes out a lap or half a lap later. And Oscar's, Oscar's fine and ahead of Lewis and probably can hold him off. Um, I think it shows uh, what he can do as a rookie. Obviously, what he's done in previous formulas, he's matched by Leclerc and Russell. But with the first 10, 10 race, obviously, he's not being able to show that. Um, so it gives him great confidence and takes a lot of pressure off him. Just just getting fourth and doing so well in qualifying and being he has been so close to Lando for the majority of the season. But for a full weekend, um, it, it, it's great promise for him. Uh, and just a, it takes a lot of pressure off him as well. Yeah. And uh, Lewis, over to you. With You were sat in Club Corner for the race, for the weekend, and watching Lando and Oscar put that fight to Max, and Lando actually being in the lead going into turn two, turn three, the roar from the crowd was incredible, louder than I've ever heard it. What What did you make of being there and, and seeing that? Oh, it was it was crazy in terms of the moment everybody realised that Lando had just thrown it up the inside, which I think everybody from the walk from the camp onto the track was all saying he's he's got to just send it up the inside. He's got to throw it at Max and hope that he can put it past him because we've seen years before Lewis did it every other weekend when Max was on pole. If you put it to him in a few early laps, you've got an opportunity at getting past him. He's, some, he's had a couple of, well, when you say bad starts for Max Verstappen, it's still 
ends him up first into every single corner, but he's not been as quick as maybe he was last year. And I mean, when you looked at the qualifying times for both of them, I mean, jokingly, I made a joke that he's, he, every time Verstappen starts, he's sort of two tenths quicker than everyone in first quality, three tenths maybe in second, then he'll put it half a second quicker than everyone. But I mean, to say he was, I think he was two tenths in front of Norris and three tenths in front of Piastri shows that from a car that, like like you've all said, three, four, five races ago, we were all going, what is hacking on about and Zach Brown saying that they're going to bring a fight to Red Bull when they were struggling to bring a fight to Ferrari and Alpine? It's the, the jump that they've made in four races is possibly the biggest jump a team's made in the past, what, 10, 15 years? That, the only time I can think of a team doing it was Braun back in, what was it, 09, when they just, they just came in and had a quick car. I've not seen a team been able to throw something like that for years. Yeah, because it's in the it's in the upgrades, isn't it? I mean, Braun, they had a quick car at the start of the season and then because they had no money, pretty much survived of winning the first half of the season and managed to end up winning the winning the title. Whereas the McLaren have come in with a slow car and then somehow managed to bring in massive upgrades. And I don't think we've seen those sorts of upgrades in a car and it'd be so noticeable. Before. Yeah, especially when you when you watched, especially if you listened to the drivers' debrief, when you heard what they were saying, like how quick Norris and Piastri were on the hards, which you wouldn't expect anyway. I think everyone turned a blind eye that they both chuck the hards on at the end of the race and fought off a charging Mercedes on the softs. It's it's yeah, an interesting I mean, one to see that they could actually actually do that. And it was, yeah, I mean, I it was Hamilton that said how quick they actually threw it forward was uh, was just absolutely crazy. Yeah, so that that's going from McLaren. I think the upgrades are brilliant. I think they're going forward. And I really hope that Lando and Oscar can take that fight to Max, which leads us into our next talking point. Max Verstappen, Red Bull, Sergio Perez. It's a massive difference at the minute. Watching Max put that car to places that realistically no other driver's put before with the amount of races he's winning. He's going to break every single record. And then you've got Perez five times in a row. He's not made Q3. Nico Hulkenberg has made Q3 more times than in this season. It's not good enough for a Red Bull number two. Someone that even a few races back were saying, can he challenge Max for the title? I think he's answered that question now. So I'll go straight to you, Jack. What do you think about Max's domination? Is it the car? Is it the driver? And and what's going on at Red Bull with Perez? Uh, I'd say uh, the driver. Uh, I think the Red Bull has always suited Max and how he drives. And obviously Red Bull will tailor that to him. Uh, they do that with one driver the whole time. Always look at Vettel as the prime situation, him and weather. Um, I think for Perez, it's just about finding his form. Obviously, qualifying is his letdown. He's better in the races, but and that's been throughout his whole career, when he was at Racing Point and everything like that. They, they called him the tyre whisperer. Um, the situation with what he needs to do is he needs to start getting in the top 10 for, uh, in for qualifying because that midfield is so tight. It's hard to get in a DRS train. Um, and then you just you're just going to be stuck in there unless you do some uh, 
kamikaze dive bombs and, and hope to get away with it. Obviously, he, he did that at Silverstone and not his fault. He un- unfortunately damaged Hulkenberg's wing. Uh, where obviously that then affected uh, Nico's uh, race as well. Uh, so I think for Checo, it's just about you know becoming trying to become more consistent, and it's not the car because obviously if if you take Max out of that car and put you know put someone a little bit lower down, maybe a little bit less experienced, it would be it probably would be that position where Checo's getting it or just in the top ten, and you wouldn't look at it saying, "Wow, this Red Bull's amazing." Yeah. So leading into that. I'll come to you, Chester, on this one. Is Perez at risk of losing his seat? Oh, 100%. 100%. I think, I mean, the, we're going to get onto it later, but the De Vries out, Daniel Ricciardo in, for starters, is a massive, it's a massive warning to Checo, I think, that, look, if Danny Rick comes in and he does a good job there, then we've got a driver we've worked with before, we know he's quick, and Around Silverstone on those hard tyres with no tyre blankets that he was testing. His times were quicker than Perez's when he was doing just one lap qualifying times and was only about, I think it was four tenths apparently off, off of Max Verstappen, which is just, which is really impressive. And, you know, if he's, if he's going quick, then Perez is in trouble because there's more than just, there's more than just Danny Rick who could take his spot. I mean, Lando's doing well, and it always seems like to, uh, Horner seems to like Lando a lot, and I feel like it's somewhere that he maybe want to go. In terms of Horner would want to go to Lando, I don't know if Lando would want to go the other way, especially with how quick the McLaren has turned out to be in the past races. Asked me four races ago, I'd have Lando probably taken that up. I mean, the the problem is, is whoever you bring in. But at the same time, they pretty much know that they're going to be second to Max Verstappen. And that's that's probably where Red Bull has trouble to bring in a top second driver. Because, I mean, the Ferrari's dead slow. And in another scenario, you might go, well, let's bring in Charles Leclerc or something like that. But then Charles wouldn't want to be second to Max Verstappen. So, yeah, it's difficult. But, yeah, I think there's, I think there's drivers out there. And I think Perez really has to start upping his game because Red Bull are ruthless. That is, that is it, basically. Yeah, and I, th- I think that's a good place to to move on there to Nick DeVries. Red Bull are ruthless. He's lost his seat. Danny Rick's come back in, so he will get to race at Vegas just like he wants. We know that car's a bit of a tractor. Uh, Yuki's doing well with it, but how can, how will Daniel Ricciardo compare to Sonoda? Will he do better than DeVries? Has DeVries been given enough time? Uh, Lewis, we'll go to you with that one. No, it's it's tough. I mean, he's the the one thing that I think has massively gone against Nick DeVries in that seat is for me, everyone came in with this hype that he's won everything everywhere he's been. But when you look at some drivers like George Russell, Charles Leclerc, when they've performed in Formula Two, the step is immediate and they take the jump straight into Formula One and they prove themselves. The fact that Nick DeVries has won Formula 3, went to Formula 2, then had to go to Formula E because no one wanted to give him a seat. Granted, maybe at that time there wasn't a seat available for him. But if he was this driver 
that a lot of people have called for and a lot of people wanted him in when he came in. There was a big hype about him coming in. Has he really deserved to keep a spot? For me, no. The, with Danny Rick coming in, I think it's it's lovely to see Danny Rick back. Like you say, he's going to get to race at Vegas. But when you want a driver, whether Danny Rick is this his audition for Red Bull, for me, it's a no. I think that Perez is here for the next, maybe this remainder of this season and next, purely because they, it's like Jack said, they, they, they have a favourite driver at Red Bull and you're not going to chuck a Lando Norris in there who if it comes push or shove, you've got to make a call between Lando and Max. Lando's not just going to lay down and take a decision. And whereas I think you look at Abu Dhabi last year, I think Perez took the, took the gap from, I think it was 36 seconds to about 14 in one sector because he knew that his job was He's a team player. He's got to do this. I think you'll struggle to find another driver that's out there that will not adhere to those that, that Red Bull have, but sort of will just sort of lay out of the way a little bit like what Perez has to do at times. Yeah, com- completely on that. My, my view is De Vries, like you said, came in with all this hype around him winning everything. I think it just sort of shows the difference between sort of F2, F3, Formula E, everything he's competed in, he's won it, he's come to F1, yes, the car's not great, but he's he's not performed, he's he's been the definition of a P20 merchant if no one's retiring. He's been last majority of the times, other than whoever's retired or they've crashed, and yeah, I think he's right to lose his seat, I do think it's a bit unfair that He's lost his seat so early into the season and only 10 races in. But that's how Red Bull are and, and that's how, how they lose and, and go. So, yeah, it's unlucky for him, but I hope Yuki versus Ricardo is going to be a good a good battle and we'll just see how that one goes. So, Jack, we're going over to you. Nick DeVries, what do you think of it? And Yuki Sonoda, what, what do you think he can do now? against the more experienced opposition in Daniel Ricciardo? Um, I do feel bad for Nick, obviously, um, you know, having his career quite cut short. He, he knew the risk of taking the Alfa Tauri seat if he didn't perform compared to going to somewhere like Williams where he'd probably get a little bit more time. Um, so you do feel bad, but obviously continuous mistakes, you know, crashing into Magnussen at Canada and pushing him off track at um, Austria isn't, isn't, isn't going to help him. Would it be nice for him to have a full season to see what he could do as the AlphaTauri is the worst car on the grid? Um, so, yeah, it's unfortunate for him. Um, it helped, obviously, it provides Yuki with a, another test of Daniel Ricciardo because, obviously, if Danny comes in and Yuki absolutely wipes the floor with him, it shows uh, Helmut Marco and Christian that maybe Yuki could be that, you know, next, uh, next um, Red Bull driver to be number two to uh, Max. Obviously, he's still... Young and obviously they do talk about how how they like him. Obviously, he's got the he had the seat with his uh, Japanese heritage and Honda, so maybe it might be something that Aston Martin sniff around for twenty twenty six. Um, but I think Yuki could be a really good shout if he does put the consistency in against Danny. Um, you know, for a really good test for him because if Danny's not performing compared to Yuki, they'll 
they'll definitely look at putting Yuki in that Red Bull seat sometime soon. Yeah, 100%. So we're going to move on and we're going to talk about, Lewis, your favourite team, Alpine. Uh, we're going to talk about your favourite driver, Esteban Ocon. And what's happened there? Both cars retired, Ocon on lap nine and Gasly after an incident with Stroll. Talk us through your feelings and thoughts on both incidents. Well, the the irony of you look at look at last year and both drivers exactly the same outcome for both of them. Obviously for different teams as well. Ocon at Alpine at the time and, and Gasly at AlphaTauri both retired from the British Grand Prix last year and have followed it up this year with the exact same. Um, you can't really, there's not too much to say about Esteban with, with the hydraulic problem that he had. Forced forced retirement, really. You, you can't really, really knock him for that. I think the whole Alpine weekend, when you look at qualifying, just as Ocon went to set his, his faster lap in Q2, he was blocked by a certain Aston Martin, who ended up putting the other Alpine out of the race towards the end, which was an interesting one but it was a, it was a tough weekend overall for for both i think i don't think the track suited them at all i don't i don't actually think, i think they brought one upgrade as well which was quite a minor one to the front end and when when you watched gazi it was it was an interesting one purely with he could he kept pace with hamilton for I would probably say around 15 laps until hamilton got past alonso and then it was just a struggle to get past alonso it was sort of he, he, he was there or thereabouts through DRS. And then the moment they came through Maggots, Beckett's, they just he couldn't keep close enough to have a run down the hangar straight. And it was just sort of the same old, same old. We saw that he still got that fight in him when he had his battles with science, had that battle with Stroll. And then, well, we know he, he was overtaken off track, but it wasn't looked at. It was noted. But then when the collision was made, Stroll got the penalty. It was, and I know after the race, Gasly sort of went on a little bit of a, little bit of a hit run at the um, at the stewards for the inconsistency from last week to this week. Yeah, yeah, it was a it was a tough tough weekend overall. But hopefully, I know there's upgrades coming. They've just had a reshuffle in the staff. I know they've brought new faces in, and maybe that'll sort of be the catalyst to to push them. And maybe be the team that, that follows in McLaren's footsteps of, of trying to push up that drive, well, drivers standings each and, and other constructors as well. And if Ferrari keep going like they're going, they might have a chance at, at pipping them. Yeah, so it's an interesting shout there saying chasing Ferrari, uh, potentially catching them. McLaren, you know, they've had one good race and they've got more points than they had for the rest of the season. Um, overtaking Alpine in that, um, which I'm sure Otmar wasn't happy about. Um, Chester, I'll come to you on it. Do you think Alpine can bring the upgrades that McLaren have sort of thing? Do you think they can catch Ferrari, as Lewis said there? Or what, what do you think their aim should be for the rest of the season? Well, I think I think they've got to try because it's Seasons now it's been Alpine versus McLaren, hasn't it? And I know that was sort of first Alpine versus McLaren was first brought up by Netflix and the draft to survive, trying to make a rivalry. But it is essentially them two generally have been fighting for best of the rest. Um, I mean, 
the state that Ferrari are going. I don't think I don't think people need to bring up grades. I think they just need to have a decent strategy and try not to mess up as much as Ferrari are doing because I mean how how they managed to get ninth and tenth out of that race is 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 baffling because Ferrari should be. Um, it's just I, I don't understand what's going on at Ferrari, but I suppose that's another that's another conversation. Um, but yeah, Alpine. I mean, it is it's it's them. They need to target beating McLaren. However, like we said earlier, those sorts of mass upgrades that have resulted in so much extra speed. I haven't really. I can't remember the last time I've seen such a big change in a car. So I suppose. Suppose it's when people bring in upgrades and what when they bring them in and for what races those upgrades actually suit. Because I mean, it's going to be interesting to see what the McLaren does, for example, at Hungary, because it's a completely different circuit to the last two circuits. It's completely different. I completely agree with that, especially when you look at the performance Ofcom put in at a much more downforce sort of driven track in Monaco, throwing it up there, putting it in P3, getting a podium. Could they possibly? I mean, he had his win at Hungary. Could this be another year where the Alpine sort of thrives in that sort of environment rather than your high-speed tracks like your Bakus and your Silverstones? Yeah, and Alonso said it. He expects Aston Martin to be better at the the high downforce tracks where maybe not as much straight, where it's more corners. So your Monaco's, your Hungary... It, it could be a good race for Aston Martin, which segues us into our next thing. What's going wrong there? Why have they gone backwards? Do we think it's track-specific? Jack, what, what are your thoughts on Aston Martin's poor form at the moment? Um, I don't, I don't think it's poor form. Um, I think if you look at it at the beginning of the season, uh, before you know the tests and everything, and you, and you said Aston Martin would consistently be finishing the points, any Aston Martin fan, any Fernando fan, would say yes, yes, please. Um, I think obviously they have mentioned that uh, the down, more downforce, the Hungary's tracks and stuff is is going to be better for for their car compared to like the McLaren in the in the uh, high speed corners. Um, so I don't think it's a, a downfall. Obviously, they've had a really good you know car at the start of the season, getting all the podiums, and Alonso then did say that he wouldn't not be on the podium again for the rest of the season. Um, but I would just say for them to be patient and uh, they'll, you know, they're getting constant points finishes under Fernando. Uh, obviously, Lance can improve. Um, so yeah, yeah, I think that's that's absolutely fine. It's it's a weird one for Aston Martin. We went, I went into the weekend expecting, oh, we're gonna have a great battle between Mercedes, Ferrari, Aston, and then McLaren came out of nowhere and. I was a little underwhelmed by Aston Martin coming into that. Lance Stroll, obviously, doing a Lance Stroll and taking Gasly out of the race, not having a great race himself. Alonso sort of had a nothing race. I, I don't think we heard too much about him after he was passed by Lewis. And, yeah, it was to me, it was a bit underwhelming. So, Lewis, Chester, what do you two think on, on Aston Martin at the moment? Go on, Lewis. I'll let you take this one first. Lad. It's it's one of those that when you look at a team like Aston Martin and like you say at the start of the season, they were so quick and just having a look at the constructors' championships, they're twenty two points behind Mercedes, and with a driver, for example, like maybe say if they took the punt 
on Oscar Piastri if they'd have had a driver like a Gasly, maybe an Ocon in that second seat, along with Alonso over Stroll, would we be talking about a, a battle between them and, and Red? Well, no, maybe not Red Bull, but being the team that is solidly in that second place, would another driver on that grid have got you an extra 22 points? I would probably say yes. Yeah, I think they have struggled this weekend on a, on a quicker track. Like, like Jack and yourself have said, the higher downforce tracks tend to suit them a little bit better. I mean, they were one pit stop away from winning Monaco. Um, if they'd have just gotten to the intermediates at the right time, they would have probably run into the distance with that race. So it's a tough one for me. I think there's a lot more to come from Aston Martin, and I think they're gonna. I think there will be. I think there will be an Alonso win this season. Number thirty-three is coming, as as we've been hearing every week, every track, and I hope you're right, Kiss. I like Fernando. I hope he he gets that thirty-third win and can can press on for that. And with obviously Aston Martin having the new facilities, and I hope they can cement up there to make a challenge and who knows if Red Bull do get pegged back next year with the cost cap penalty of the reduced wind tunnel time could Aston Martin be up there challenging I'm not going to say a world title but consistent podiums again and, and making that work so yeah Chester what, what are your thoughts on on that and Aston Martin's future and, and where they can really go from there well I think I think they're a long term project I mean you see you see what what they're doing with building all the new facilities, and you see where they were at the start of last season compared to the, the start of this season, and you can see that they're progressing. And I think they've they've learned how to build a good car, but maybe then they still maybe for next year they need to learn how to then be able to develop that car more, because clearly they were miles ahead of so many teams at the start of the season, with the exception of Red Bull. Um, and they were probably not far off on par with Red Bull, if we're honest. I think if, I mean, at the start of the season, Perez actually did perform in those first few races. Um, and maybe then, if like Lewis is saying, with a different driver, maybe then they would have actually been in a different position because it would have been less Fernando fighting Max and more two drivers potentially fighting Max. And I think I think it's just a long-term thing for, for Aston Martin. Um, I mean, you, you do look at all the new facilities and it's fantastic what they've done and the amount of money they've put into it. But I think I think they'll use Fernando's experience, but I suppose it's difficult. Lance Stroll is now experienced, but at the same time, you know, he's, he's, he's Lance, isn't he? You know, I've, I've, he's, he's just Lance. I don't know what else to say about that one. But, but yeah, I think they, they're doing well. And I don't think we should be disheartened by the fact that they've not necessarily brought the same effective upgrades that all the teams have brought yet. Like we say, I think they're they're a high downforce kind of track car. So we'll, I think it'll be interesting to see what they do over the next few races. Yeah, exactly. It shows the improvement they've made from from quality. If you look, just look at qualifying for the British Grand Prix last year, qualifying twentieth and eighteenth, to then. Ninth and twelfth on a track where we've said that they've struggled, and we know Stroll and Ocon had that moment in qualifying where they didn't get that final lap in. To to even make that jump, they're jumping what nine places from from Vettel in eighteenth to Alonso putting it in ninth. Yeah, exactly. So it's overall, if you compare it season to season, it's it's brilliant for Aston, and I hope it can continue. So finally, to end the podcast, we are going to talk about. 
our experience at Silverstone. We were all there for the full uh, duration of the weekend. Um, me and Jack, we did the pit walk on Thursday, which was a great experience. It was a lot, lot busier than we've ever seen it. Um, even on a Thursday, it felt like a Saturday with how many people were there. Um, I know there were massive queues for everything, but it's what you expect. New grandstands were added. There were extra seats. We tried to sit in the same spot as last year on the Hamilton Pit Straight South, but it turns out our seat had actually moved up about 50 places because they'd added on an extra grandstand. The atmosphere was incredible from my point of view. We we camped out there and, and everyone camping loved it. There were a lot of people from the US, from, from Mexico. We had people from New Zealand, Australia, uh, China, all from literally everywhere on the earth coming just to watch this spectacle. And I think it delivered. The race was great. The weekend as a whole was great. We had surprises. Uh, we had shocking moments. It was brilliant. And just Silverstone, the way it's organised, it's it's great. So, yeah, Jack, what were your opinions on the weekend, the facilities, what Silverstone did this year differently and, and how you enjoyed it? Um, I absolutely loved it. Um, I thought, comparing it to last year, I thought there's too many my people here especially on a Thursday um and you know has has more money come into it yeah probably because you know pit walk put pit lane tickets used to be free and and stuff like that and you entered a, a raffle uh, obviously now it was like 129 pound for the museum as well uh, and there was a lot of moaning from people in the in the queues about you know the the cost of that we were discussing it with a lady who was you know being near for seven been going for seven years obviously covid interrupted that um, where it is money, money, money. However, I think Silverstone did really well with the facilities that they added. You know, you were never, you were, you weren't queuing long for food. You weren't queuing long for the toilets or anything like that. Um, but then the experience and you know chatting and meeting other F one fans and stuff, especially you know at our campsite uh, and everything like that. It was just, it was just great. Uh, English fans, you know, are the best. You know, we were quite patient throughout the things, and nobody's, you know, we have been me and Alex to a foreign Grand Prix and the, the experience with other fans weren't the best compared to Silverstone. You're not arguing, you're not bickering with anyone. You're, you're mainly chatting and getting along having a little joke with them. Um, so yeah, um, I'll, I'll probably go for more than 500,000 for the, for next year, which will be interesting. Um, but yeah, it's, it's the growth of the sport, isn't it? Yeah, exactly. I, I look back at it and, Last year, the track walk, as soon as the race had ended, you could walk freely. Uh, the the actual pit straight itself, you could just you could probably jog up and down it. There, there wasn't loads of people on it. Then you look at this year, you, you were stuck in a crowd, barely moving towards turn one, just on the pit walk, literally doing the walk of the track after the race. And it was something that I've not seen before. I haven't seen that level of fans at, at any F1 race. Um, and, and yeah, it was it was a bit crazy. So, Chester, your opinions on, on Silverstone? Yeah, I mean, I, I, I loved it. I thought it was a cracking weekend. As a, as a Lando Norris fan, I could not love it. But, you know, apart from him getting P1, all my dreams came true. But, 
Yeah, it was it was a strange one. It was a strange one because it was a fantastic weekend, but there was a lot of people there. A lot of people there. And I suppose that's good. That's good for the sport. But yeah, that, that track walk at the end. I mean, we tried tried just walking down the pit straight and you literally didn't move for half an hour because there was that many people there. And by then they'd already they were already trying to get everyone to the first exit the nearest exit and clear everyone off the track. So it was, that was strange, but I mean, our campsite was class. We, everyone we spoke to, we loved it. Uh, our seats were brilliant and a brilliant view of the podium on the Hamilton pit straight. And it, it felt like a proper little festival. Um, so yeah, I, I was really impressed with it. Really impressed with it. And I, I mean, comparing it to the Barcelona Grand Prix I went to last year, um, the facilities were certainly better. The fact that you can um, fill up fill up your water bottle from loads of different water filling stations, things like that. That where when when we're in Barcelona, you just didn't have that option. They literally ran out of water that year, and I know they got a lot of criticism for it. But there were people, you know, people fainting everywhere for that one, and there was nowhere near as many people there. So. It was really good to go to it, and it seemed well organised, which yeah. which is the good thing. Because yes. yes, there was a lot of people there, and apart from that pit, uh, the pit walk at the uh, pit walk, the track walk at the end, everything seemed well organised, and like they'd anticipated everything that was going to happen with the amount of people being there. Yeah, exactly. Like you, you just have to look at the pictures and the videos from a Thursday night launch party with Calvin Harris just to see the absolute magnitude of people that were there on the Thursday, which is notoriously quietest day where you can do all the games and, and walk everywhere so easily without queuing or anything like that. It it was incredible to see that for a Thursday and to have an act like Calvin Harris getting getting the crowd going as much as he did. It, it, it was incredible and, uh, and amazing to watch. So, Lewis, obviously you were sat on... Club Corner, as most people say, the best seat in the house for Silverstone. And I probably agree with you after sitting there on Saturday. What what was your sort of anticipation going into the, the weekend? And did it live up to expectation? And how did you find it? Yeah, would it, would it be my first ever, ever Grand Prix? It was sort of didn't know what, what to expect in terms of obviously sheer amount of people that were going to be there obviously what the grandstands were going to be like, facilities, etc. But it it's literally everything you can ask for and more. It's it's so well organized. There's stewards here, there and everywhere. If you need anything, they're there. It's I, I really couldn't speak high enough of, of how everything was done. Even to to when you look at it on on the last day on the Sunday, mid walking around to to still having the fan zone even probably I think it was about an hour and a half after the, the race had done just in case there's people that didn't necessarily get to do anything before everything was just there and, and it, it was it was something else I have to say yeah. well, honestly incredible weekend and can't wait to do it again next year when it when it rolls around again um, but yeah, that, that's it for today's podcast, guys. So thanks for joining me. We will be back very shortly with the first ever episode of our new series, which is called Change Our Minds, uh, where two of us will take it in turns with spicy hot takes, controversial opinions, should certain tracks be on the calendar and
a bit of a depth in there where the others will have to change their mind on it and, and see if we can do that. We'll be back with predictions, race previews, reviews, and just general F1 stuff, what's happening in the world of F1. So thank you for joining us here. Thank you for joining us. And I hope to see you again soon.